I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. In five, four, three, two. I got the loot, Steve. Hello, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined here by... Yogi Pollywall. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And so, uh, on this podcast, we wanted to, to change things up a little bit. We don't usually talk about current events, but I thought this week we could. I wanted to talk a bit about what's going on with Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the Ukraine. It's all over the news now. They're going to remove right Trump from office. They're going to take him down, finally. I, I, nothing's going on, if you ask me. There's collusion and fake news. That's all I've heard. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> And I hey wanted, there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. <laughs> I wanted to talk specifically about the Ukraine part of it. Uh, I wanted to hopefully do the best of our, to the best of our ability to mm-hmm. give a brief introduction to the recent history of the Ukraine, because I think most Americans, uh, myself included, just have no idea about what's going sure, on sure. there. And this is so important to, you know, this the end of the Donald Trump presidency. Well, it's such a different place, because, um, you know, one thing that we have in America that they don't have over in Ukraine. Hmm. What's that? Warning shots. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> uh, uh, Andy's research for this episode was he uh, found out that Yakov Smirnov is actually from the Ukraine, Odessa, a city in the Ukraine, which he claims that he is from Russia. So Yakov Smirnov is actually on a one-man quest to <laughs> annex Ukrainian territory into the Russian Empire. I mean, I think he assimilated into America perfectly, which, you know, if one thing's more American than anything else, it's lying about your ethnic origins. Oh, yeah. I like how Sean said brief. What a country. As if a two-hour introduction to Ukraine is a brief introduction. Oh, we're going to get it done in one hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> if we're lucky. But um, I guess what I wanted to do is provide this introduction through the lens of our subject today, which is a billionaire named Igor Kolomoisky. Igor! A Ukrainian billionaire. He's, according to Forbes, as of October 2019, he's worth about $1.1 billion. And um, I'm conflicted talking about Igor Kolomoisky because the theme of this podcast has been there is no such thing as a good billionaire. Right, right. However, Igor Kolomoisky became a billionaire by stealing $1.8 billion from the IMF, <laughs> which is the most ethical way to become a billionaire. <laughs> Just fucking rob the criminals. Mm-hmm. I'm much more ethical than creating Facebook fucking make children kill themselves platform. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are going to die if you're going to make a billion regardless, but uh, stealing a billion certainly is uh, one of the better ways to do it. I mean... You could argue that kids are going to kill themselves anyway, so you might as well make a platform where they can show their <laughs> friends <laughs> while they do it. Yeah, you might as well set up like a, a video service so they can use that to uh, encourage others to follow them. Um, but I guess what Isn't I want... it's so sad how uh, Twitch is taking the live streaming violence away from Facebook? <laughs> like, it makes you feel old. Just imagining the, the video engineers being like, one day this... This technology will connect humanity by uh, showing the live stream of mass murder in a mosque. 
Among other places. Yes. <laughs> and a synagogue. <laughs> yeah. It will connect all of the yes. religions by <laughs> right. showing a mass murder in every one of their temples mm-hmm. of worship. Mm-hmm. Truly the, <laughs> the coexist bumper sticker come yeah. to life. Yep. Indeed. Um, but I guess for recent history of um, the Ukraine, I watched actually the, the Netflix documentary Winter on Fire. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's done in a very pro-EU perspective, but it's a very clearly an inspiring story. It was a mass movement of people coming out in the streets saying the police are not going to beat us up. Right. We're not going to handle this corruption. We're not going to take it. And uh, forcing a very corrupt president, Yanukovych, to flee the, the country. People were saying, we are going to do neoliberalism. <laughs> well, that's exactly <laughs> we it. We are indeed. going to... Uh, Echo American imperial sentiment. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. So the documentary Winter on Fire, you can watch it on Netflix. It ends with a very optimistic note. You know, it has like a little bit of text at the end, but it's all very optimistic. The people won. Everything's great. And then immediately after the documentary ends, the IMF goes in and imposes austerity. And now there are Nazis everywhere in Ukraine <laughs> for some fucking reason. Right, right. Because Well, Russia also invaded. Yes. So, I mean, the story, uh, in a nutshell, is that um, in 2014... I'm sorry, Ukrainian freedom fighters <laughs> declared their independence in Crimea. Thank you, Thank and you Andy. The, yes. Um, Get the facts out don't there. Don't okay. region. <laughs> That'd be so great if Yakov Smirnov went over to entertain mm-hmm. the troops. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just like, what a country. And they're like, we know. It's so good to be back in my hometown of Russian Odessa. <laughs> Uh, but so the the nutshell history is, you know, there's this revolution. I haven't seen this many SS uniforms since I opened my grandpa's closet. <laughs> <laughs> so fashionable and warm, unlike American love. In Soviet Union, KGB assets through you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so the brief history. Uh, 2014, this revolution, president flees the country, they have new elections, they get a new president who's um, a fucking chocolate oligarch. Oh, great. Yeah, he was uh, the chocolate president. Yes, he's uh, backed by the West. He left office with something like an 8% approval rating. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, within a month after his election, you know... Uh, the the eastern part of Ukraine has a lot of primarily Russian speakers. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, Russia invaded, but also there were lots of pro-Russia separatists who launched revolutions mm-hmm. and, you know, want to get absorbed into Russia. So all these riots and chaos... We needed start- protection from volunteer uh, <laughs> missile launchers. All these riots and chaos starts, of course, that's terrible for they the They needed economy. protection from some missile launchers that were on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> they were these- taking a break from doing drills and decided to take some time... Some so the missile launchers decided to um, have a nice uh, a nice summer shooting down Malaysian airplanes. <laughs> there were all these pro-Russian separatists were uh, begging Putin for help from the noise of commercial airliners. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to sleep and were so tired of this flight route going directly above their heads. And President Putin, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> took care of that problem once and for all. You imagine, like, once they realized that they'd shot down a Malaysian plane, they were like, well, at least they'll find this one. <laughs> uh, but so, um, uh, yeah, so there's, you know, this these riots, these uprisings. Of course, that tanks the Ukrainian economy. So within a month of this guy getting elected, um, the IMF says, okay, we'll give you an emergency loan, uh, but you have to do austerity. Oh, wow. How kind of them. Yes. Yeah, they're good dudes. 
They said you have to uh, freeze the minimum wage. You have to cut all fuel subsidies. So, of course, what that does for people is now gas costs a ton more, which is a very regressive uh, form of uh, pricing. You know, of course, the, the poor people are most impacted by this. And they made some, like, tertiary thing about, oh, you have to I do- think it's good for the environment. <laughs> they made a show of, oh, you have, to, you have to reform the oligarchs. But, of course, that's not what happened. And our subject today, Igor Kolomoisky, he ran, uh, at the time, the largest bank in the country, Privat Bank, uh, I believe was the name. And like, I think 40% of this IMF money ended up going through his bank. So he was able to move at least 1.8 billion of it out of the country. Right. This is like 17 billion in IMF loans. Nice. So uh, should we talk about what the IMF is now? Do kind of a brief overview? Because uh, my understanding of the IMF is I'm, I'm not entirely clear what the IMF is. My understanding of the IMF is I, I don't have much of an understanding of the IMF. <laughs> Well, it is. Uh, I think Steve can explain it better, but I will just say one thing: is the IMF, uh, the International Monetary Fund, has been uh, monetary fund has been, you know, bailing out countries from financial crises. And their strategy has always been: okay, well, you have to do austerity. You got to like cut spending. You got to like really punish the population. And um, every single time this fails. It, to the point where in 2014, when the IMF does this bailout with Ukraine, they'd even written like position papers within the IMF being like, hey, that austerity shit is failing every time. And then they did it again. And now there's fucking Nazis <laughs> everywhere. Um, but maybe, Steve, you could explain the International Monetary Fund a bit better than I could. Oh, OK. Well, it's an international bank that's headquartered in D.C., actually. And... 20 i think 29 different member countries contribute capital to it and it helps it ostensibly is supposed to help countries with their if they enter into like a balance of payments crisis so Mm. like they can't find enough for foreign exchange reserves to meet all of their obligations to get imports and stuff like that so they're like a charity yeah exactly Charity with exorbitant interest. Right, right. <laughs> what, what was the IMF? And uh, a lot of their ideology comes from neoclassical economics. Oh. Which uh, says that you should do austerity until things get better. Which, as Sean's mentioned, always works, yeah. apparently. And ha- so you shouldn't have minimum wage increases, and you should privatize land and capital. They're right. like, w- we'll give you this money, but you got to promise you're going to create Nazis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need a lot of Nazis. Honestly, yeah. I think Ukraine would have a lot less Nazis if they kicked them off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Have they has, has Ukraine have, has Ukraine and the IMF considered canceling their Nazis? <laughs> it, it works in the United States. I don't see why they don't do it. Yeah, just deplatform them. So wait, are these Nazis a new group of people, or have they always been there and now they've joined up together to uh, rule Ukraine? There's always been Nazis to some degree in Ukraine, but they've never been better organized than almost than now. Since, right. So it's like herpes uh, since the actual you know, World War II. We've never lost it. It's always been there, but now it's certainly a flare up. Yeah. There's actually this uh, documentary on this. There's uh, this documentary. <laughs> it's always been hiding there in cracks and crevices. <laughs> I mean, now, but it's in there. Uh, yeah. You know, you get stressed out, and it comes flaring <laughs> out. <laughs> There's well, really uh, uh, the flavor gets locked in for a yeah. while. Oh yeah, and yeah it just yeah. gets released. <laughs> Cold sore on fire. Uh, <laughs> There's this actually this documentary on Netflix. Uh, that one also had an optimistic ending. <laughs> <laughs> It was just Mark Marin yelling at his exes. <laughs> <laughs> Lock the gates! <laughs> you gave me mouth herpes. Yeah, now you're an adult. <laughs> yeah. That's what he used to say about his ex-wife. <laughs> Charming fellow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on, the, on this Netflix documentary, it, it follows uh, the sons of 
uh, two former prominent Nazis. And then the documentary itself was made by actually uh, an American Jewish uh, man whose family survived the Holocaust. And it all happened in the Ukraine. Like um, his re- many of his relatives were killed in the Ukraine and many of uh, these or, and these Nazi or these sons of Nazis, their fathers were operating in the Ukraine. And one of them is just like absolutely hates his dad. And it's clearly the um, like protagonist of the two. And the other guy uh, clearly had a fond relation or had like a very positive sure. relationship <laughs> with his dad. And so he's like, he doesn't want to criticize right, his dad. Right. And then there's a scene where they're in Ukraine and there's like, quote, reenactors. And one of them is in an SS uniform. And, you know, the Nazi who, or the not the Nazi, the son of the Nazi who hates his dad was like just disgusted. And then the other guy, that like dumb guy, just like sees the guy in the SS uniform and his eyes light up and he like shakes his hand and gets a picture with them. Wow. So one like, sorry, he mm-hmm. was like, I have the best dad. He was always bringing me home new pairs of shoes, <laughs> like three a day, and new clothing and watches, <laughs> fillings. <laughs> so one more thing about the IMF is uh, they have so all of the member countries that contribute capital, mm-hmm. their votes are based on how much they contribute. Oh, really? Unlike this workers' co-op that we're in, mm-hmm. where one man one man gets one vote. Yeah. That's the Grubbs Universal male suffrage. Mm-hmm. Right. And then three of us <laughs> voted to make Yogi edit all the episodes. Wow. Yeah. That's democracy. Yeah, we, we definitely voted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a vote that I Three of us voted to make Yogi uh, do get, double the work. Well, guess who's the number one vote haver at the IMF? Uh, <laughs> it's like yeah. the United States, but then in like really small font, it says actually Israel. <laughs> <laughs> it is the U.S. Yes. And then uh, number... But... Number nine is Russia, hmm. and then number two is Japan, hmm. Watch and this number space. three is China. Seriously. <laughs> well, it is something where, uh, just briefly before we transition to the uh, biography of Igor Kolomoisky, I want to just kind of talk about corruption in the Ukraine, because it is a story. It's obviously a very corrupt country. Yeah. According to the World Economic Forum, out of 148 nations, Ukraine ranks number 133 for, quote, favoritisms mm. in decision, favoritism in decisions by, of government officials. Mm. Uh, number 130 out of 148 for, quote, irregular payments and bribes. As of 2014, according to The Hill, uh, the wealth of a dozen Ukrainian oligarchs made up roughly one-fifth of the country's entire GDP. Uh, So, you know, you can, as an American, you can look at that and say, oh, that's a corrupt backwards country. But it's like the story of why Ukraine is a corrupt backwards country is a story of America being a corrupt backwards country. Right. Because it is very similar to the story that we saw in Russia. It's very similar, where after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, there was a massive privatization effort where uh, government officials took bribes or even just gave formerly state-owned assets to straight-up mobsters. And the people who are the billionaires in the Ukraine today are the people who are most violent, most corrupt in this era. And they uh, hoovered up all of this former public property. And the West, uh, you know, in terms of the banking system, lawyers, accountants, everybody, uh, were happy to go along with it. All of these uh, assets transferred offshore, you know, they flew through London banks or wherever else. And just one more very prominent example here, uh, Igor Kolomoisky, his bank, Privat Bank, uh, he stole, it's alleged in U.S. court, he stole about five... No, that's a private bank, right? uh, (laughs) it, It was nationalized. But before it was nationalized... It's alleged by the bank itself in U.S. court. He stole about fi- he stole five billion U.S. dollars out of this bank, 
Uh, its accountants were one of the big four U.S. accounting firms, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers. They were, they were auditing the books. They were looking at the books every year, and they were like, oh, I didn't notice five billion fucking dollars was missing. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, at every level. And, and then, you know, of course, we'll talk a bit about Hunter Biden getting money and um, uh, Paul Manafort, other American government officials. So at ev- uh, let's try that. <laughs> At every different level, um, uh, U.S. government business has profited uh, off of this asset stripping that has destroyed the economy of Ukraine and left it in a situation today where, you know, far right paramilitaries are getting more popular partly on the fact that they are denouncing corruption and saying, you know, the establishment is corrupt, but we are not, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. They're getting away with it. Why would they stop doing it? Mm -hmm. But are you saying that they copy the U.S.? Well, we in should a, in screenshot their Gab accounts <laughs> and email it to their employers. I mean, that could work. Look, as long as we keep them from getting SNL writing jobs, I think this will be okay. Um, but yeah, and I think it's, you know, that, that whole context of the Ukraine and what we have done to the Ukraine, I think that is how you should read all of this news about uh, Trump and Biden and everything that's going on with the impeachment right. and all this stuff. is like, you know, we're... All of the American political establishment is knee-deep in this shit. Um, but I guess before, just before we transfer to the uh, biography of Igor Kolomoisky, I do want to mention, because this is kind of an ongoing story, we're recording this October 10, 2019. Today, uh, two uh, uh, aides for Rudolf Giuliani were arrested, a guy named uh, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. A couple they, of Florida boys. Yeah, they were both arrested uh, for campaign finance violations when mm-hmm. they were trying to flee the country today. They had, like, one-way tickets, I think, to Vienna trying to get out of oh, the country. Nice they were arrested, uh, and they're charged with campaign finance violations, uh, steering uh, probably dirty Ukrainian and Russian money into right. um, super PACs supporting Donald Trump, into uh, campaign stuff for uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Mitch McConnell, among others. Um, and it's interesting where the allegation here. Uh, is that Rudolph Giuliani was running a shadow foreign... Rudolph, really? We're going to use full name? (laughs) Rudy Giuliani (laughs) was running a a shadow foreign policy in the Ukraine where he was sending these two, as well as others around the Ukraine, to just go to everybody and be like, hey, we'll give you money if you can give us dirt on Joe Biden. Right, right. (laughs) To the point where the subject of today, uh, Igor Kolomoisky, according to a political article, Kolomoisky told the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project... uh, a uh, consortium of investigative journalists that the businessmen arrested today, Leave Parnas and Igor Fruman, approached him about a natural gas venture, but they instead used the meeting to seek an audience for Giuliani with the new president of Ukraine, uh, Voldemort uh, Zelensky. Uh, Kolomoisky. Vladimir. <laughs> Vladimir Zelensky. Not Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing so well. <laughs> this episode is going to be long enough. We don't have time to make fun of my pronunciation. No, that's the only time thing we Vladimir. have time for. <laughs> Vladimir Zelensky. Vladimir uh, Zelensky. Um, uh, the oligarch Igor. Uh, I think his dad shrunk the kids. <laughs> Uh, Kolomoisky said he refused this request for Giuliani to meet with the new president. Well, Giuliani has claimed that Kolomoisky defamed uh, his two partners. And um, uh, according and that to this, is how this went down. But so, hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. According to this political article, Kolomoisky has been telling people that he has dirt on both political or politico. Politico. 
According to uh, Politico, Kolomoisky has been telling people that he has dirt on both Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. And there's an FBI investigation ongoing into Igor Kolomoisky. Mm -hmm. So the allegation is that he's been telling people like, hey, you know, if the Trump administration leaves me alone, I can give you this this shit on Biden. You know, so and we'll we'll get a good shoulder rub can't fix. No, no. But just like one other thing that you can't shoulder rub your way out of this Biden. okay? (laughs) this is the real deal here. But so one other thing that was reported today is Rudy Giuliani apparently also had a ticket to leave to Vienna, but he canceled at the last minute. So uh, most (laughs) optimistic take possible is by the time this is released, Rudy Giuliani is under arrest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but we'll see. And he had a ticket, huh? He was going to go. He was going to get out. So yeah, both of these guys had one-way tickets, one-way international tickets, and And Rudy. uh, No, I don't know if he had a one-way ticket. I mean, not to say that he would need a one-way. He probably could come back if he needed to, but. I just love that they were in Florida, the state that's got, you know, the most amount of bullshit corruption has some perfectly blatant uh, political corruption like this. Hmm. They could have been from any state, you know what I mean? But Florida is just the one that gets it done. Yeah, it is something also where, you know, wouldn't it be great, though, if like those guys that because those guys are clearly picked up to like because they want to flip them. Right. right. Like, how great would it be that Giuliani, the guy who made his name prosecuting mobsters, got taken down <laughs> by his subordinates diming on him? It is true with those fucking pinky rings. Like he does right, look right. more and more like a mobster. It's well, like that's the ultimate. His, his dad had mob connections, and part of the reason he was so hard on the mob is he, you know, had political aspirations and wanted to kind of oh. get that pushed in the background. Sure, sure. But that's just like the evolution of a guinea: is the older you get, the more of a mobster you become. <laughs> and he just happened to have the power that he could act on some of this. Most of them are just like fucking watching Sopranos and recliners right, and the right. fucking old folks' home. The best thing what if he's what if he's act, like you know how he kind of seems. Um, sort of insane and riddled with dementia when he's yeah. on TV. Like, mm-hmm. what if he's trying to pull a Vinny the Chin Gigante <laughs> move <laughs> and he's actually, like, this brilliant strategist? <laughs> it's just, like, 12-dimensional chess pissing himself on CNN. <laughs> just, like, exposing his fucking diaper. Just dementia chest. <laughs> chess. The fucking Southern District has to drop the charges because he fucking <laughs> fills up his diaper and throws it at Don Lemon live on the air. He's actually technically the president, but like in the Oval Office, they're not allowed to refer to Giuliani as the president. Uh, yeah, and we should have mentioned uh, uh, Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky, the new president of Ukraine. Is um, he's backed by Igor Kolomoisky? Right. He was the star of a political comedy in the ukraine it's on netflix called servant of the people mm-hmm. about a teacher who goes on a viral rant against corruption and then gets a elected president and then they elected the actor in that tv show the president, the president yeah. which like as an american your first instinct is like haha look at that backwards country and right, then you right. forget oh we just elected the fucking <laughs> apprentice guy right, president right. um but it is something where he won the election in April 2019 with 73% of the vote. Mm-hmm. He's made overtures to, you know, getting a permanent peace with Russia, which is very popular. People are sick of the war. Um, but he is backed by Igor Kolomoisky. There's allegations that, well, Igor was in exile. He was meeting with him. Uh, Igor Kolomoisky 
Klamoyski paid for his security during the campaign and these other things. Doesn't so Eager owned the network that Pivo yes. the Servant was broadcasted on too? Yes, he owned the television network. And Igor Kolomoisky, we'll get to, had to flee the Ukraine in, in 2016. Mm-hmm. But since the election, he's come back. So it's a worry that now right. his guys in the government, he'll be able to like exert corrupt influence again. I watched the first episode of uh, the show People of the Servant and like... It's, you know, it's fine. It's like an IFC political show, but it ran from 2015 to 2019, I believe. And before he even announced his presidency, uh, Vladimir, in on December 31st uh, of 2018, before they did like the presidential New Year's announcement, he already had like 70% of the people's vote to become president. So, you know, as much as uh, I think we can look at like, oh, wow, an outsider comedian is being a president of Ukraine. This could be good for the world. It is the sensationalism that is the uh, media frenzy that we're currently in, where if you're popular in the media, you have more influence than any person that's got, I don't know, good ideas and experience. Oh, and it is interesting, you know, with the two large shows about Ukraine on Netflix, I just find it funny that they elected the president as the guy from the fictional one. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Not anybody from the real one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but I guess we can start the biography of Igor Kolomoisky, and hopefully that'll give, I guess, an overview of recent history of Ukraine just through the lens of what he did and, you know, what happened to him, because I think it's it's pretty instructive. Um, I, I should just start here. According to The Hill, uh, Igor Kolomoisky and his partner, who uh, they started the Privat Group, uh-huh. uh, they are uh, known uh, in Is the... Is that a private group? <laughs> they are known in the Ukrainian <laughs> business world as... It's actually nationalized... <laughs> They are known in the Ukrainian business world as the, quote, the Raiders, and uh, they... Well, that's just because they like Oakland. Right. They're big fans of the <laughs> Oakland Raiders. I don't see why so that's wrong, you know? They do hostile takeovers in, like, the most hostile sense possible. Uh, according to this Hill article, um, what they do is they will buy, and they did this throughout the early 2000s up through late 2000s, they will buy a minimum stake in a company... Uh, by one of their uh, from one of their many companies, and then a mix of phony court orders, often involving corrupt judges or registrars, and strong arm tactics are deployed to replace the existing members of the board of directors with men loyal to the Privat Group. Um, and then they have one example. Translation uh, is a private group. <laughs> uh, the, they give the example of the Kremenchuk uh, steel factory in 2006. Uh, where it was a literal raid where they hired an army of thugs to descend upon the plant with baseball bats, gas and rubber pistols, iron bars, and chainsaws to take over this steel factory in 2006. And he's been linked to, you know, contract killings and all this shit. So it is, again, the, this typical story of uh, uh, post-Soviet Ukraine and Russia is these... What were the chainsaw guys doing? <laughs> Just being cool. <laughs> Just fucking revving them, you know? <laughs> Very intimidating when you do yeah. that. They were uh, uh, karaokeing Eminem songs. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add the intimidation factor. Right, right. You see a Ukrainian rap Eminem, you fucking freak the fuck out. I, can't, yeah. I can imagine one of them like trying to intimidate the people at the factory and like takes the chainsaw to say like a... Um, uh, a steel truss and then it just jams and it's like, oh, hold, hold on. <laughs> Carrying out a hostile takeover in in uh, in Odessa with to lose yourself. <laughs> uh, and so, according to JohnHelmer.net, uh, Kolomoisky has uh, the memorable quotation: "Quote, give me a one percent stake, and I will take over the entire company." So that oh, is right. how his business is operated. Um, and again, this is really there's 
a lot of overlap between underworld crime mafia figures and billionaires in post-Soviet Ukraine and Russia. And it's very clear he falls into that. According to a Heretz profile... What a country! <laughs> uh, according to a Heretz profile in his uh, office before he had to flee the country, he has a massive... Uh, this is from, I think, 2014 or 15. He has a massive shark tank. During business meetings, he enjoys pressing the button on his desk that releases live shrimp into the water and then watching his visitor's reaction... To the feeding frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking straight up James Bond villain shit. Just the kind of shit where you, if you saw that in a Bond movie, you'd be like, this is Russia-phobia. <laughs> <laughs> I just, man, you got straight, sh- he's feeding shrimp to sharks during meetings, just yes. like, oh, what a great tactic. Because <laughs> it's technically not illegal. It's not like a wrong thing to do, but boy, it's flexing your nuts as hard as you can. Mm. It's Khalil Mack on Sundays, if you know what I mean. You guys, you guys got to, Increase your Patreon contributions so that we can do that during our meetings with book publishers. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to... I'm just going to bring a small <laughs> goldfish yeah. bowl and a piranha. Spend uh, like $800,000 on, yeah. on a huge shark, shark-sized shark exhibit. Now, i, I got to imagine that's got to be less intimidating than you think because it's like, well, I'm much bigger than a... Shrimp. Than a shrimp. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously they're full now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that somebody pitching us on an ad read. Right. No, we we go to Harper Collins and we're like, yes, ten million for five hundred <laughs> Wikipedia articles, copy pasted. <laughs> sounds fair. <laughs> we'll give you a book of billionaires, <laughs> unless unless you want to hang out with the tiger sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking put your reputation on this one. I'm like that's Just a dogfish. <laughs> Shut up. It's, they don't have tiger sharks at Petco anymore. So um, uh, the, the biography... Yeah. <laughs> beep, beep, lettuce bought all the tiger sharks. <laughs> <laughs> the biography of Igor Kolomoisky is... Their book deal is amazing. <laughs> the biography of Igor Kolomoisky, as far as the early life goes, it's, it's pretty truncated, at least in the uh, English press. I found this article in Financial Times from, um, from 2015 that I think gives a, a decent overview um, I should just note, um, I'm going to fuck up the name here. There's a province in central Ukraine called uh, Dnipropetrovsky. Uh, D-N-I-P-R-O-P-E-T-R-O-V-S-K. Province in central Ukraine. Um, this is where he's born. Uh, Dnipro is its largest city, the fourth largest city in the Ukraine itself, the administrative capital of this province. And so he's born there in 1963 uh, in what is then the Soviet Union to a Jewish family of engineers. Uh, he graduates from the Dniprovsky Metallurgical Institute in 1985. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, the Ukraine uh, gets its independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. Um, uh, and uh, according to this book well I guess here let me just give you the early uh, biography from Financial Times um, in, uh, from an early age He's born 1963. From an early age, he showed an entrepreneurial flair. Uh, in his 20s, he oh. bought rose chips and squash seeds and traded them in for electrical goods in the village shops. There, uh, These he then sold at a huge profit in the markets of Dnipropetrovsk and Odessa. 
You're telling me the guy that business practices show up with chainsaws and bats was had at one point an entrepreneurial flair because yeah. he traded fucking, what, seeds for electrical parts? Rose chips and squash uh, seeds. I'll tell you what that is. Uh, how about you give me these electrical parts, I'll give you these seeds, and I don't shoot you in the face. That's what that is. I do like to imagine in Odessa he ripped off a young Yakov Smirnoff. <laughs> Uh, he told me that it was a magic squash that would get me to the Giants. What a country. He's like watching him on the Tonight Show like, dude, this idiot gave me electrical cables for fucking squash seeds. No wonder he thinks Odessa's in Russia. <laughs> Um, uh, continuing from the Financial Times biography, in 1989, visiting relatives from the United States brought him a computer, an IBM XT, which he sold to a local factory. Uh, quote, the profit was more than I made from rose chips in an... Uh, uh, from Rose Hips an entire month, he says. He then started traveling to Moscow, buying PCs and selling them to Ukrainian enterprises and quickly became a ruble millionaire. Um, in 1992, he and his partners created... He had $447. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, In 1992, he and his partners created Privat Bank, uh, one of Ukraine's first private lenders. Again, the Soviet Union That's collapses. That's a national bank? <laughs> the Soviet Union collapses. Ukraine gets its independent in 1991. He creates this bank in 1992. Um, it was... Uh, at the 2015 article in Financial Times, at that time, it was the largest in the country, accounting for one quarter of all deposits in the national banking system. Hmm. Uh, it grew from 1992 to encompass media interests, energy, petrochemicals, aviation, and mining, as well as banking. Um, and I wanted to just quote a little bit of background from this book, The Gates of Europe, by uh, Sergei uh, Ploki. Sergei Ploki. Uh, just a little bit on... Uh, the the background of what happened I like here that it's it's not so much that you know how to pronounce it as like you're like well if i just go to the back of the throat to say <laughs> it <laughs> it'll sound right 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 i'm going to try with the back of my throat that's that's the place to pronounce words correctly <laughs> we're like trying to get the red scare listeners who are just turning off in disgust as we try to pronounce fucking slavic words <laughs> He's from Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) Odessa. Yeah. Um, So uh, according to this book, um, uh, The Gates of Europe, uh, in the Deniprovetsk region. Talk the gates of Europe. In this region, two local businessmen divided major uh, metallurgical assets. You know know how um, uh, Ukraine actually broke away from the Soviet Union? Mm. How did they do In Berlin, they unlocked the gates. Oh. Uh, so the the book states that he was one of the two uh, metal billionaires, like you know all these formerly state owned, you know copper or whatever else, natural right. gas. He becomes one of two oligarchs to be able to buy these former state owned assets, uh, because of course he has you know he's a millionaire in rubles and he I employs the prog rock billionaires. <laughs> he employs these violent <laughs> tactics and he has the capital and um, uh, just from the book. Most of the privatization of Ukrainian industry took place on the watch of President Leonid uh, Kushma, uh, K-U-C-H-M-A, between 1994 and 2004. Uh, Kushma, who had been a, quote, red director himself, presided over the process that ultimately benefited the oligarchs, gaining him their economic and political support. It talks about how uh, he came to power in 94. In 99, he's reelected with help from the oligarchs, but also the West, just like Boris Yeltsin, where he presented himself as the only one able to stop 
the communists from taking over again in the election. Incident, interestingly enough, he's he's supported by George Soros and the Open Society Foundation. And so, you know, you look at all these kind of Western links into this, um, and he's, you know, giving all these oligarchs sweetheart deals to take over state-owned assets. Um, and then Russian con- intervention in the American elections is completely <laughs> unprecedented. <laughs> uh, according to the book, uh, President Kushma's downfall began in the autumn of 2000 with the release by, oppos- by an opposition leader, the head of the Socialist Party of Ukraine, of tape recordings made secretly in Kushma's office by some of his bodyguards. The tapes documented Kushma's dealings with local officials involved in privatization schemes, his bribe-taking, and his efforts to suppress opposition. Opposition media. One journalist whose name was mentioned on the tapes was Jorge uh, Gongadze, the 31-year-old founder of the web news of a web newspaper called Ukrainian Truth. Kushma wanted him detained and sent to Chechnya, where insurgents were fighting the Russian army. In September 2000, uh, Gongadze's corpse was found beheaded in a forest near Kiev. Uh, so yes, totally unrelated. Uh, he has found this journalist that the president was on tape talking about how they have to take care of him was found beheaded in a forest. Yeah, he, he fell. <laughs> no, he, he was, was driving. Jogging. You know, these guys drove, you know, 300 kilometers to buy some marijuana. That's what happened to that dude, too. You know, <laughs> that's really, I'm pretty sure that the. They had I heard he hung himself with a bed sheet. <laughs> they had Dallas Police <laughs> Department's consultants fly out <laughs> to take care of this journalist. But yeah, so what I we mean, saw in Kiev is that uh, the same uh, assailants uh, drove out here uh, in their hydrojet uh, to buy marijuana from Ukraine. But that gives you an overview of, you know, the people who are billionaires in Ukraine today, the president who sold them all their shit was deeply corrupt and probably involved in the murder of at least one journalist. Minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and again, this is uh, how Igor Kolomoisky gets his fortune. Uh, according to Forbes, uh, he and his partners started building up a stake in one of their most lucrative inventions investments uh ukranafta which is an oil and i swear to god ukr nafta ukranafta why not you know when we did that uh, i think the saudi arabia or maybe the middle east episode we got like a uh, anonymous message that was just like you guys need to learn how to pronounce middle eastern names yes (laughs) so i'm pretty sure we're gonna get those messages for this episode too they're just gonna be mad that like 40 minutes of the episode will be fucking with pronunciations i thought you're going to like the back of your throat but you're still doing the flat american Mm -hmm. hey yeah 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 you're nafta right right because that's got to be correct (laughs) just like i'm not an american pronouncing it if there's not enough nasal on it yeah But look, this is the uh, largest uh, oil, the largest producer of oil and natural. He's from Kiev. <laughs> the largest producer of oil and natural gas in the country. So the early 2000s, they build up like a 42% stake. Uh, and then the Ukrainian government owns the other half. But it's funny, according to the Financial Times, Ukrainian law stipulated that annual shareholder meetings were only ever um, in quorum if investors controlling at least 60% plus one shares were present. Whenever the state-owned gas company tried to change the management or board, uh, Privat would simply not show up, thereby blocking it. And so what they did is they blocked all state changes to management, and then they uh, would have the gov- the company sell its oil to privat controlled traders at below market prices in monthly auctions. Hmm. So this is this half state owned oil company where they're uh, throughout the 2000s up until 2015. They're just 
uh, stealing oil from the state. Right, right. Putting it in their own pockets. Is it money laundering, technically, but with oil? Yeah, I mean, they're... All, there's a very complex well of she- shell companies mm-hmm. offshore where they send all this shit around and then they have, you know, Cyprus and other um, subsidiary shell companies that bounce uh, the money around and right. send fake invoices to make it all, sure. you know. Yeah. yeah, so it's you could spend a lot of time getting dug into it, but, you know, journalists I trust have reported on this and we can certainly link in the show description. Um, and then, you know, he, so he's able to keep that until he has to flee in around 2000, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so throughout the 2000s to 2010, uh, he, uh, conducts a a massive rating campaign from 2000 to 2010. You know, we mentioned showing up with people with, uh, uh, bats and chainsaws to take over companies, um, using corrupt judges to take over companies. He just builds up a huge stake from his little Privat bank in, uh, banking, chemicals and energy, media, metals, and, uh, you know, and of course, Privat Bank holds 26% of all deposits uh, as of 2015, according to Harper's. And, you know, government employees get paid through Privat Bank and all this other shit where he can skim money off the top. Thank God that nightmare of socialism is <laughs> over. <laughs> uh, but so... I wanted to talk Just, here. You know, people abusing the system for their own self-serving needs. Well, Andy, don't even rig it up. You know, it's over. I, I don't know why <laughs> we keep talking about it. So, like, s- the most information we have on him is from this lawsuit in London court where one another Ukrainian oligarch named Viktor Pinchik sues him in London court because, of course, the Ukrainian courts are all corrupt. So he sues him in London court, and he alleges that— Unlike uh, our American court system, yeah. that's just perfect. Uh, Igor Kolomoisky, he alleges, um, they promised to sell him a mining company— and then they never, like, they took, I think, 100, 143 million from him in 2005, and they said, hey, we'll sell you this mining company. And then they never transferred it to him. Oh, wow. And then they sold a 50% stake in it to another person. <laughs> so not only did they never give it to him, but they also sold it to another person later. So he sues them in London court over this. Classic communist move. He sues them in London court, and this is settled out of court right before it goes to trial in 2016. But the allegations are where we know that there are allegations of uh, murder against Igor Kolomoisky um, because uh, he, he accuses um, uh, Sviatoslav Piskun, was the three times prosecutor general of Ukraine from 2002 to 2003, 2005, and 2007 uh, until he got fired. But so this prosecutor general of Ukraine, according to this uh, lawsuit, basically looked the other way of Igor Kilimoisky, um murdering his bodyguard and one of his henchmen. Hmm. Um, I guess I'm just quoting from The Independent here. Incidentally, that henchman also named Igor, but yeah. unrelated. So Actually, it's pronounced Igor. <laughs> According to the Independent, this other oligarch alleges in court that uh, Kolomoisky ordered a, a Ukrainian lawyer uh, to be attacked for refusing to leak details from a client he had. Mm. Um, so the gang, the gang he sends, beats up the wrong lawyer. Uh, before uh, then they go beat up the right lawyer but Kolomoisky is mad <laughs> oh so, my God. so according to the independent quote uh, he, Kolomoisky then arranged the killing of the gang members who botched the attacks and sought to cover up these murders um, the, the story is that uh, Kolomoisky's bodyguard um, is found uh, dead floating in uh, a Ukraine river um, the attack the leader of the gang who atta- who fucked up the attack was also found dead with two slashed wrists uh, there was no autopsy in either <laughs> case 
Uh, and the gang's leader's death was recorded as a suicide from slitting his own wrists. Um, a gunshot wound under his chin was apparently oh overlooked, uh, the other oligarch's legal team stated in court. Um, as for... Um, so the Dallas PD might be involved in this, <laughs> is what you're saying. Uh, they might, they actually might be... Uh, according to, I just I think it just uh, uh, is a testament to the tenacity of Ukrainians <laughs> um, when uh, they set their minds to something, they get it done. Yeah. So, uh, and again, according to these legal filings, um, Kolomoisky's bodyguard, um, the official report originally suggested he had received no injuries. It, he was his body was later exhumed and discovered to have received ten stab wounds. What? Um, Wait, is this the two wrists and yeah, gunshot yeah. wound guy? Uh, no, so this is two murders. He kills the gang leader and he kills his own bodyguard, both because yeah. they fucked up his head. Andy, that's a different murder. You got to yes. keep up on this. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Yeah, so his bodyguard was pulled out of the river and the autopsy, or the official report said no injuries and then he was later exhumed and discovered to have received 10 stab wounds, according to this legal filing. Um, and the Okay, what about his high you thought? <laughs> his what? His high thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> The, was he involved in any marijuana deals? <laughs> <laughs> it's like 4000 in cash was found in his right, apartment, right. so case closed. <laughs> 80,000 rubles. Yeah. Uh, so according to uh, this other oligarch's legal team... He was team, killed by some people who uh, drove from Finland to buy marijuana off of them. Um so according to uh, the, olig- the oligarch Sulin Kolomoskis, according to his legal team statement, uh, they cite an official Ukraine prosecutor's office resolution that Kolomoisky threatened the lawyer with murder a few days later when the lawyer had not complied with Kolomoisky's demands. The later decided to murder the lawyer out of revenge for failure to comply with his instructions. But so an official in the Ukraine uh, prosecutor's office was seeking Kolomoisky's arrest, but Mr. Piskin, who was uh, at the time the prosecutor general of the Ukraine in the uh, mid-2000s, he instead uh, squashed this. Uh, he was asked by an intermediary working for Kolomoisky to uh, squash this arrest order. Hmm. And this is all alleged in London court. And right. it was settled before it went to trial. But this is like kind of where we know about most of the shady shit Igor Kolomoisky was involved in. Uh, is another oligarch suing him and making these allegations. But it is just, should be noted, he founds this private bank in the 90s, he gets a bunch of state-owned assets, and then through contract killings and murder and intimidation, he builds up his stake. Um, and, you know, so it goes on from there. He uh, originally is running his business empire from Switzerland. Then the Ukraine revolution happens in 2014. And it's pretty interesting because uh, he comes back to his home province of Dniprovetsk, uh, after the revolution where all these pro-Russia um, uh, separatists are rising up in the east of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So this province is in the center and he's like, uh, he he goes in because he has money. There's, you know, chaos and riots all around. Right. But he spends at least, according to Heretz, 50 million of his own dollars just paying security forces and uh, um, conscripting people in his company to become private security. He's point, appointed... I like how you put the accent on Haaretz and still mispronounced it. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's appointed the emergency governor of the province. Uh, He spends, you know, X million of his own money hiring security forces, and he becomes oligarch governor, where it's interesting, you know, even people who are interviewed for this article uh, for Haaretz, they talk about, you know, there's no crime, like... 
it's okay because this is the safest it's ever been since Soviet times because he has his private gangs running around the streets <laughs> keeping order. Um, and he, they talk about how he also set up like a meeting with underworld figures and said, hey, you have to keep crime under control. And he also drafted a battalion and sent a bunch of people east to fight the war against Russian separatists in the east. You know, we're like 10,000. He, commi- he commissions building the mech from RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> and he gives this interview in the in the first week that he's governor where he attacks Vladimir Putin and calls him short. And apparently Putin hates that. And, and Putin makes some allegations about him being corrupt and like has his assets seized in Crimea and all this other stuff. So he gets into this back and forth. Watch this space. But it's Seriously. interesting where Haaretz makes, I think... Hey there, of, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC. On- <laughs> uh, Haaretz says, uh, makes a very credible allegation where Igor Kolomoisky always says, I did this as a patriot, and he always appeals to you know Ukrainian nationalism, anti-Russian sentiment. I had to stop the Russian sentiments. I had to bring law and order, and I used my own money to do that, to give mm-hmm. back for all the you know wealth I have been given to right. give back. But Haaretz makes, I think, very credible allegation that... Um, he, his operations as governor were also about preserving his business interests. Where, because, you know, if separatists had taken the region, of course, all of his assets could have been seized, his accounts could have been frozen, whatever else. So he goes in, he takes over, suddenly he has a militia, and not only is he not getting his shit seized, but he's more powerful than ever and is actually, for a time, expanding his influence even away from the central government in Kiev. So... It's a pretty interesting story, and then what happens is he actually sends armed uh, men in 2015 to try and straight up seize uh, the um, the Ukrainian gas company we mentioned earlier. Hmm. He tries he he sends some armed men in 2015 to seize it right in the capital, and then they're evicted by special forces, and he has to flee the country because it doesn't work. But it was like he tried a little mini military coup, and he had to flee the country in 2015. You know, every billionaire seems to have a good flee the country option. You ever notice this? Like, I, I, literally, all of them have had at one point be like, "I gotta go. I gotta roll out. This is my plan. This is how I'm gonna get out." Whether they get it or not is on their own Honda Accord. But they get it done when it comes to I need to leave the country at some point. <laughs> yeah, according to Harper's, uh, he I'll he. Tell you what, they have not procrastinated on renewing their passports. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Harper's, in March 2000, sometimes they got multiple passports. That's how prepared they are. Damn. <laughs> uh, according to Harper's, in March 2015, he uh, sent hundreds of armed quote. Lawyers. Oh wow! Oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah! <laughs> to seize physical control of Ukrainafta. Um, that to me seems like he doesn't want to sp- spend money on two people <laughs> for one person jobs. You know, I mean, I could send an armed guard and a lawyer, but it'd really be nice if the lawyers had guns. Because in Soviet need. Ukraine, law enforces <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, we need all hands on deck for this. Op. Right. 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 But so, and according to this Harper's article, the U.S. actually, uh, ambassador came in, and part of how they got him out of there was they promised they would take him off the visa ban list. So the U.S. actually got him out, But and like in 2015, he was in America watching basketball games, when previously he'd been banned from a visa in the United States because he was clearly an organized crime figure. Right, right. Uh, but then, you know, his, his Privat Bank was nationalized in 2016. The government had to put, the Ukrainian government, which is, of course, broke and in, in debt to the IMF. They had to put five some billion U.S. in uh, capital injections because they had stolen five billion uh, of this money. 
uh, in this kind of real estate scheme in Cleveland. We'll talk about in a second here. Wait, he'd stolen the five billion from his bank. Yes, uh, okay. Privat Bank. Um, and so and that's a public bank, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I wanted to just uh, very quickly mention the the Harper's article. Uh, is like the best thing I've read on this. I really recommend Undelivered Goods by Alexander Cockburn. Uh, he, he very much goes over U.S. policy here. I'm, I'm just going to give a truncated version. He talks about um, uh, Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland was uh, Obama's Assistant Secretary of State, mm-hmm. but it's disturbing. She was also National Security Advisor to Dick Cheney. Oh, really? So it's like this permanent blob where she's kind of flying over to Ukraine and doing all these deals with various Ukrainian oligarchs to make sure that Washington's policy and consensus is represented. Um, and, you know, he t- they talk about uh, this other oligarch, uh, Dmitry. What, what a wonderful uh, display of bipartisanship. <laughs> um. But so uh, I, I won't really talk too much about um, uh, this other Ukrainian oligarch um, named Dmitry Fertash, except to say that the Trump team is now alleging that Dmitry Fertash is currently in um, Vienna, ironically enough, fighting extradition to the United States on various crimes. The Trump team is now saying that he was rail, or some members of the Trump team are saying that he was railroaded by the Bidens in a fake prosecution. Oh, really? Uh, and it's just interesting because according to Politico, uh, he's a, quote, upper echelon associate of Russian organized crime, according to the Department of Justice in 2017. So it's just kind of interesting where every bipartisan member of government has their own little faction of Ukrainian right, right. oligarchs. And they're all trying to say, you know, these other people are in bed with the Ukrainian oligarchs. But it's just it's fucking oligarchs all the way down. If you want strength on your side, you got to have an oligarch on your team, you know, because if you don't have one, then they got them. So everyone's got their own type of thing. I'm not sure if that's how oligarchy works, Sean. I, I think it's it it's very short of the way down. <laughs> Um, but so according to this Cockburn article Otherwise uh, that's called democracy uh, Petro Poroshenko uh, The chocolate industry oligarch we mentioned Who was just defeated in the election right. The US won- he was named in the Panama Papers Yeah he was Because mm. uh, like all of the fucking Ukraine presidents have offshore accounts <laughs> So uh, the US Wanted him in there uh, and we mentioned Along early with uh, feminist icon Emma Watson Yes. Uh, so oh, really Yeah what happens here is, you know, he's elected after this revolution, the, the chocolate guy, Kolomoisky, or not Kolomoisky, Peroshenko. <laughs> Washington gets their favored candidate in, and then he says, yes, I will do austerity. Give me IMF money. Right. So Christine Lagarde is the uh, director, the managing director at the time of the IMF, according to Harper's. She, went to, she hailed the government's, quote, unprecedented resolve in developing a, quote, bold economic program to secure macroeconomic and financial stability. Over the next five months, this is April, right after the revolution, right after the uh, new elections that mm-hmm. put the U.S. guy in there. Um, over the next five months, the international agency poured the equivalent of 4.15 billion U.S. dollars uh, into the National Bank of Ukraine, the country's central bank. Much of this money was urgently needed to prop up the uh, local commercial banks. In theory, the IMF required appeared to require direct supervision of how the Ukrainian banks use the aid. In fact, it appears the banks got to select their own auditors. As the largest bank, Kolomoisky's private bank stood to garner the largest share of international aid. 
Published estimates put the share as high as 40%. Despite the torrent of cash, the bank's situation did not improve. Nine months into the program, the IMF announced, quote, as of the end of January 2015, the banking system's capital adequacy ratio stood at 13.8%, down from 15.9% at the end of June. Where had the money gone? Mm. And um, the uh, Alexander Cockburn goes through a very complicated but uh, very compelling scheme of offshore Cyprus subsidies, sending fake invoices and uh, fake, you know, courts suing to get assets back just to make it look like money wasn't stolen. But the long and short is at least 1.8 billion of this money was put directly into Kolomoisky's pocket and shipped offshore. And this is what the fucking IMF and the United States knew was going to happen, and they still imposed austerity on the people of Ukraine. <laughs> right, right. They fucking imposed, you know, uh, freeze in the minimum wage, end of gas subsidies, that means higher gas prices, and now there's fucking Nazis anywhere, everywhere. And, you know, it, it is... I love how, like, either... Do, do you think they, they knew this something like this would really happen, or were they naive to it? I, I think they thought they could control him, and I think they thought they could keep Russia occupied in Ukraine. Because the idea was, you know, let's let's give Putin something to do. Let's um, make sure the government is stable so that he's fighting there. Right. Um, and, and I think it's just something where the fact that the IMF by this point knew that austerity didn't work and still went forward with it is extremely confusing to me because <laughs> the results are what we see today, which is, of course, the far right is in a very prominent and powerful position they weren't in when, when they started this program. S- similar should to... should quote tweet the, far, the Ukrainian far right. <laughs> Re- remember, um, there was a story back uh, a couple of years ago of the World Bank, another another uh, counterpart to the IMF, right, uh, right. in their white paper series, like somebody actually went to their their white paper library and noticed that some of them had zero views. Really? Zero views yeah. total? Some of them had zero views. How is that even possible? And, yeah, fucking no one is reading these things. And I'm fairly certain that IMF might not have zero views, but it's very, like... So they had, like, the opinion paper on, is austerity real? Right. Or does austerity work? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and they... they they said, like, no, not really. <laughs> like, no one read that. Wait, pardon my ignorance. What's a white paper library? Is it just, like, the white pages? Or what? I'm confused. Oh, like uh, policy papers. Oh, okay. Yeah, got it, white got paper. Why well, it's got to be white? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, um, there's more contrast with the ink. Okay, sure, Andy. <laughs> but so, you know, he steals at least $1.8 billion in IMF money. Um, the United States King. later gets him out of this, uh, lets him go to the United States, partly in order to get him out of uh, launching this takeover of the state company. Um, uh, they seem to not really care about what he did with the $1.8 billion, though he is currently being investigated by the FBI, so right. we'll see if anything comes from that. But... You know, so he tries to take over the government. You can't really threaten the monopoly of violence, so the government has to retaliate, seize his bank. Um, again, they have to inject about $5 billion in capital, saying that he stole, they're suing him in the U.S. for stealing about $6 billion, or 5 or $6 billion from this bank. He has to flee the country. 
uh, because he has Israeli and Cypriot and Ukrainian citizenship. So he goes to Israel and he's hiding out from 2016 to 2019. But now uh, that Vladimir Zelensky just won the election and got elected president of the Ukraine, he is now, Igor Kolomoisky is now back in the Ukraine. So it is something where he said, I don't want my bank back. That's okay. Sure. But you owe me $2 billion. <laughs> right, right. So they're not sure what, if any, settlement they'll come to with him. But because, you know, um, again, uh, Zelensky, the new president, is alleged to have flown at least a dozen times to meet him in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very possible that he will set up some sort of arrangement with him. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that. So do you th do you think Vladimir is complicit in uh, the crimes of Igor? Do you think that at any point will Vladimir be like, yo, Igor, shit's about to fucking get down, son? Yeah, I mean, it is something where we can't Do really... Do you think he'll say specifically what I said? That's what I need to hear here, Sean. That's, that's the question I'm asking. There's a, according to some article I read, there's a scene in his TV show... Well, in Ukraine, it's actually pronounced, Get down, son! <laughs> Uh, according to some article I read, um, there's a scene in his TV show. Great, gr great podcasting on this yes. show. <laughs> according to some article I read at one point, some dick fuck said this. <laughs> some, some guy who did actual research that, <laughs> that I'm now stealing without attribution. What a country. But it, it, it was just from that Netflix show, Servant of the People. Right. There's a scene where the oligarchs confront the fake president and tell him he'll be impeached and he tells them to go screw themselves oh, and then really? does the right thing and it's really popular. Oh, wow. Wow. So the article ends by speculating about will he do that in real life. I mean, but that like, you know, a perfect example of how, you know, media sensationalism going to politics is exactly wrong with society. Because yeah, sure, that's how a happy ending works in television. You got 30 minutes to wrap up an episode. That's not how life works. But, um... I, I guess just like to kind of close things out here, because I do want to talk just very briefly uh, about Biden and the U.S. role more in general, though I, I should note there's another uh, very fascinating article I'll link to in the description uh, from clevescene.com. It's a Cleveland uh, newspaper mm -hmm. uh, in um, fucking May 2019. Uh, there was a legal complaint filed in Delaware uh, from this Ukrainian bank. It was a 140, 104-page uh, document. And it, it goes through this other very complicated financial scheme about how he was able to steal $5 billion mm -hmm. from Privat Bank. Right. And uh, just, just quoting here, uh, what, they, um, what they did according to this legal complaint is they would uh, take depositor money. Yeah, they siphoned money from public bonds and 20 million private Ukrainian citizens who'd opened accounts with Privat Bank. They would take the money, and then they would move it overseas. They would buy real estate in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, it was kind of like a Ponzi fraud scheme <laughs> where they would use money they made to pay back the money they'd stolen. Right, right. But, you know, so this bank has to be nationalized. And, you know, this is ongoing in U.S. court. The bank has to be nationalized, and they have to pump like $5 billion of creditor of public money into it but it's just interesting where according to this article for a time he was the largest landlord in cleveland really <laughs> and he's he still owns or his company still owns one cleveland center which they bought for 86.3 million dollars in may 2008 wow so and you know it goes through all these different properties apparently he owned a steel factory in cleveland that got closed down and all the employees got fired and like all these different prop office buildings I mean, that's just a pastime in cleveland <laughs> <laughs> shutting down factories 
By the way, uh, another connection here is his son, uh, Gregory Kolomiski, plays in the di- first division NCAA team for Cleveland State. So yeah. another <laughs> Ohio connection right there. He needed to buy his son an office building. Yeah. <laughs> an $86 yeah. million dollar one. He's the only fucking tenant. My <laughs> son needs place to study in the U.S. <laughs> I need to buy everything. <laughs> But um, according to the Kiev Bank, the uh, FBI is looking into Igor Kolomoisky, so we'll see if he's indicted or charged with anything. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, he's been shopping this dirt on the Bidens, possibly, as to try and get out of it with the Trump administration. Right. So we'll see if anything happens with that. But it, it should just be noted, um, according to RFERL.org, um, um, a Ukrainian court ruled in um, April 2019 that the nationalization of his Privat bank was illegal, which um, does boost the chances that he might actually regain control of the bank. So mm. it is something this new president, Zelensky, uh, he has 73, he won 73% of the vote. People like want him to end the war in Ukraine. They're so sick of all of this endemic corruption uh, that they're like, we'll give an outsider a chance, you know, just fucking do the right thing. We're right. so sick of the class because no matter who we elect, even if we fucking throw the president out, the next guy is just as corrupt. Yeah. They all have these offshore accounts. They're all funneling money, uh, whether it's aid or IMF or taxpayer money or whatever else. They're all funneling money out of the country, every single person on all the different sides of the political spectrum, and they impose austerity and uh, immiseration on us, the right. population. And the one thing that is, well, I shouldn't say the one thing, but they one... should do a socialist revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Something that is scary is both Kolomoisky and Zelensky are Jewish. Uh, and not okay, that. That Sean. is Come scary. Now, Sean, let's, you know. <laughs> wait for my second this sentence. Is, I know it's not, October. But Sean, you know. <laughs> do not clip this. And with that, this is for uh, you know, have a Have a wonderful evening and, uh, you know, enjoy life. Uh what is scary here is we mentioned the rise of, of neo-Nazi groups. And, um, you know, uh, I guess most famous among them uh, from th- for the Western audience might be the Azov Battalion is a neo-Nazi group uh, that's fighting in uh, eastern Ukraine against Russian separatists. Right. It's, it is a straight-up white power neo-Nazi group. Uh, interestingly enough... Kolomoisky, even though... <laughs> Why has it got to be white power? <laughs> even though Kolomoisky is Jewish, he's been funding these groups and giving them weapons. Also, the state of Israel... The Jewish state has been sending weapons to the Azov Battalion for some fucking reason. So, you know, again, neo-Nazi group. So I say it's scary that they Kolomoisky and the president that everyone says is his puppet, Zelensky. For anti-Semitism. Zelensky. It's scary that these two are Jewish because say they fuck up or say things get worse. Well, the Nazis have their perfect people to point the finger at. And part of their share has, uh, their increasing share in popularity and power has been saying, everybody is corrupt except for us. We will do the right thing. We will not steal. So if. I mean, when has legitimate, cor- or like the lack of a legitimate scapegoat stopped Nazis? Right, right, right. I'm just saying, you know, the propaganda writes itself. Sure, sure. And I hope Zelensky does the right thing. I hope he does not become, come under the thumb of Kolomoisky. But in the event that he's just a puppet for this other oligarch. I mean, what the fuck comes else next except for Nazis in Ukraine? More Nazis in Ukraine. Nazis squared, if you will. Neo-squared Nazis. But um, (laughs) I guess just before we close out here, we should mention... So, uh, like, what's some kind of direct action we can, like, take? Like, more cancellation, more call-outs, 
More clap emojis. Mm. I think hashtags. Oh, hashtag. Ooh, we should have. A, we should form a resistance. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that protest at Cleveland Center. One, <laughs> one Cleveland Center, whatever. Apparently, all the properties are like falling apart because they just bought them for money laundering and then did no maintenance. Yeah, that's and not they're like ten percent occupied. And shit. <laughs> yeah, just occupy one. Yeah, right, right. Mind you, many properties in Cleveland not owned by uh, Ukrainian oligarchs are falling apart as well. It said. Uh, that also applies to the tallest buildings in New York. <laughs> <laughs> he brought the he bought the steel mill for his son. Right, right. <laughs> converted it to condos. Just with the time we have left, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I do want to talk briefly about Hunter Biden and uh, th- this whole scandal with Trump and this bullshit. Because look, Hunter Biden got it. First of all, you should know that Hunter Biden and John Kerry's fucking son-in-law, Christopher Hines, Mm -hmm. started some fake private equity firm in California where they just went around to, like, China and apparently struck a deal with them to give them facial recognition technology. What? (laughs) Which, good job, guys. (laughs) I'm sure that's being deployed well. But they also got... Nice um, to know a guy named Hunter did that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But so it it was also with Devin Archer. Devon Archer is a... uh, uh, he's a former senior advisor for the campaign of John Kerry in 2004. It's probably, probably Devon. Totally yeah. right, yeah. 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 D-E-V-O-N. Isn't uh, it Devon? Still probably still pronounced Unless Devin. he's black. <laughs> Is he black, Sean? Did you look up his race? Well, look. Uh, Let's go all come town, but <laughs> Devon Archer. <laughs> Devon Archer. <laughs> Uh, no, it's Devon. <laughs> he goes, um, and he gets a seat on the board, I believe in 2014, of a company called Burisma Holdings. Uh, and then, just like a month or so later, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, gets a job on the board. Hunter Biden's paid about $50,000 a month for no discernible reason. Mm. And, I mean, I can discern a reason. Expertise. His last name is Biden? Yes. I can discern a reason, which is that... Um, as long as you have the vice, Joe Biden is running Ukraine policy for the Obama administration. If you have the vice president's son on the board of your company, prosecutors might think twice about, you know, looking into this shit. And also their economy is totally dependent on IMF loans, which are really de facto controlled by the United States. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different reasons you might pay the vice president's son 50,000 a month. It's very clearly corrupt influence trading. Where the story kind of breaks down is that the prosecutor that uh, Obama and the Europeans get fired um, was actually fired for, among other things, not looking into Burisma Group. Oh, really? Where he apparently gave it some letter saying, everything's on the up and up here. And then the Europeans were like, you have to fire this prosecutor. He's corrupt. He's not doing any prosecuting. Yeah, the letter he gave was K. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, I guess the, the the thing I wanted to mention about Burisma Holdings is in uh, London court and most press accounts, it said it's owned by this other oligarch and former government official uh, named uh, Mikola uh, Zalewski. Apparently, according to um, uh, a report I saw in uh, Na- uh, Naked Capitalism, was quoting a, a, Euro- a Ukrainian journalist who mm-hmm. dug this up in 2012. Uh, it's kind of a complicated shell transaction, but they make the argument that Igor Kolomoisky is actually the power behind the throne, that um, the Privat group, according to one source, the uh, company was founded uh, by Zolevsky, but he later sold his shares to the Privat group. Oh, interesting. And this hasn't been proved anywhere. I saw it on another website as well. JohnHelmer.net makes this case if you're interested in reading it. But I just wanted to put that out there 
there's a possibility the guy we're talking about today was paying off the Bidens. And that's why, you know, there's an FBI investigation into him. That's why, maybe why, he's going around that saying... That is not the focus. The focus is impeaching Trump <laughs> for his wrongdoings. That hair, right? Right. Biden is our best chance at defeating Donald Trump. And so uh, it is not prudent right now to attack Joe Biden because he's completely innocent mm. and did not do any corruptions. He just loves ice cream. It's <laughs> a so leave Britney alone guy defending <laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> leave Biden alone. He just loves ice cream. But it is something where uh, we don't know right now, but it's a possibility at least that Igor Kolomoisky was the actual guy paying Biden's son. And it should be noted um uh, there's various reasons for doing it. The other oligarch, uh, Zolevsky, uh, according to The Intercept... For one uh, thing, you can tell him to dance, and it's pretty funny watching him dance. <laughs> according to The Intercept, according to the Intercept, regulars in London had seized about um, $20 million in cash uh, from Burisma Holdings mm. uh, amid claims that it had compiled its assets illegally. So the idea is, okay, so London court has seized $20 million of our assets. Let's get a fucking Biden on the board right away. Maybe that'll kind of put take the pressure off the investigation so um i guess you know look you can look all this shit up yourself we'll see if this actually yeah assholes (laughs) why are you listening to this shit you can look it up yourselves don't you know what the internet is you fuck my point was we'll see if all of this um sean's point was go fuck yourself (laughs) we'll see if all of this boomerangs back on trump that he was trying you know pressuring uh, the new president of Ukraine in a phone call like, hey, give this Biden kid another look, you know, have investigators look into it. We'll see if he ends up getting impeached for this and other shit. Um, But I guess don't fucking listen when anybody tries to tell you this isn't about Hunter Biden's corruption (laughs) because it is like whether or not what Hunter Biden did was illegal. It was very clear quid pro quo with this murdering mobster uh, giving him fifty grand a month for they a- didn't say quid pro quo <laughs> on the phone or what? That's the other one. Did they say quid? Did 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 Biden say you- quid pro quo on his phone call? <laughs> I don't know. I forget who who didn't say quid pro quo and who who. I still think didn't. I still think that the impeachment was launched ultimately to protect Biden. Really? Yeah. To like, oh, I see what you're saying. To make yeah. the impeachment say, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. smokescreen. Yep. Smokescreen. That was a component. Interesting. Right. But it is something where, you know, we mentioned... You think it could be a smokescreen? You think Stephen's gone to something? Uh, it's possible, but I feel like it's bad for Biden to have this in the news because, of course, the Fox News and the other line is always talking about Biden but, but you know every what, time the impeachment comes up. Bad news coming out right now is kind of the best time because there's so much shit going on right now that if you, like, you know, did some fucked up shit precisely like this... I think you would go, let's get it out right now. So, because if it comes out in like three years and, you know, my, like, let's, you know, f- optimistically say there's not a Trump presidency and things are being more progressive and better for various reasons, controversy like this would fucking cripple a person so much more than if it comes out right now. Yeah. I think there could be a fire sale on just fucking horseshit, like, bullshit people have been doing for the last couple of decades that might just start coming out for the next couple of months. I I think you could arguably say that from now till about maybe February to at least March of next year, there'll be like six to 15 more scandals very similar to this. And they're just trying to get it out while there's so much controversy that people can't even keep up with it. 
I think it's it's shameful that they're slandering Biden, our first <laughs> Irish Apache <laughs> president. Our first mentally disabled president. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ableist slurs. People talking about him forgetting things. Like, that's not uh, a protected class in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ableism against uh, people with weak denture. Yeah. <laughs> Glue. When I tell the listeners to look shit up because I can't find it in my notes, it's actually ableist to get mad at me for that. <laughs> <laughs> because forgetting things makes me a marginalized population. <laughs> yeah. But look, you forgot the word population. <laughs> <laughs> look, my, cl- my closing thing here is just this. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. The, the thing here is, of course, Hunter Biden is on this fucking board with a senior advisor to President John Kerry. Uh, we've gone through, you know, Victoria Newland. Uh, he's also on his private equity firm working with John Kerry's son-in-law. So both the Democrats and the Republicans clearly have an influence trading program where right. people leave the government, either their kids become lobbyists or they become lobbyists, they get no work jobs all over the fucking uh, globe to peddle influence. And it, You know it, what's really scary? What? They're Jews. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> no. Little known fact, Hunter Biden, total Jew. <laughs> but I guess, look, What makes me angry is seeing the American media say Ukraine is a corrupt, backwards country. It's fucked up. Oh, we can't do anything there. Blah, blah, blah. You... The United States is a fucked up backwards country. We are an oligarchy and we have exported... That's racist. <laughs> we, have fu- we have exported our oligarchy into uh, the remnants of post-Soviet Ukraine and Russia. Outsourced. Yes. <laughs> you know, you want to know something crazy? Yeah. The state that produced LeBron James has a Ukrainian son billionaire playing for a college basketball team. That's the level of bullshit that's going on here. Right. I do not follow that connection okay. at all. Okay, all right. Well, I made an Oakland La- Raiders reference earlier when I said Khalil Mack, and none of you noticed as well. So uh, certainly talking to myself it's here. Little Easter eggs for <laughs> yeah for the listeners for our listeners yeah. that pay attention because <laughs> all of our listeners don't pay attention. <laughs> listeners that pay attention to Oakland sports. That's right. I'm just imagining Kola uh, uh, Moisky like fucking buying the. Cleveland Cavaliers locker room with his <laughs> laundered <laughs> offshore right, money. Right, closes it. <laughs> it's like, damn, why is the attendance in the stadium down to 10%? They fucking evicted all the tenants. They stopped doing upkeep. <laughs> yeah, they used to have great concessions. Drink. Now all they sell is pierogies. <laughs> the fucking back glass on the hoop was broken like three years ago and nobody <laughs> repaired it because some fucking uh, Cypriot shell company owns the right, thing. Right. It was actually broken this by Jordan. To, like, <laughs> yeah, this is used to funnel like Cypriot uh, illicit real estate money to to uh, buy sex slaves and for the Democratic Republic <laughs> of the Congo. Right, right. Yeah. But, you know. It has to be some insane convoluted yeah. scheme like that. Yeah, exactly. We'll hear about it soon enough. But we'll see what happens with, you know, Trump, Giuliani, Biden, all these people. But uh, I hope this has been an informative overview of some of the recent history of Ukraine. And I hope we will all consider, you know, when we dismiss countries as backwards and corrupt, we think about the very real corruption that exists in this country. And that is legal. And that is a bipartisan part of our political class. And um, uh, do you guys have any other thoughts here we didn't get to? Jesus is smart. Andy, you got anything? Yeah. 
What a country. <laughs> and with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm uh, Yogi Polywell. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Uh, Sean P. McCarthy. I do just want to thank um, Hash Tigre on Twitter. I think I pronounced that one right. Hashtag. Uh, H A. Le Tigre. Uh. <laughs> uh, at H A S H underscore T I G R E on Twitter. Uh, they hit me up. Her name's Kathleen Hanna. <laughs> They hit me up with a lot of my sources for this episode. I hadn't, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do this research without them. So if I fucked it all up, go yell at them on Twitter. They, they, it was their fault. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you to Hash Tigre and check us out on Twitter or check us out on Twitter and Patreon. The women who are taller than me are lesbians, for whom 1969 was a very momentous year. For me, America is a first-rate place. Most of all, I'm beloved of American movies, muscular cars, and hip-hop music. I also dig Negroes. Most of all, Michael Jackson. He's a first-rate dancer, just like me. Many girls want to be carnal with me, because I'm such a premium dancer.